welcome to episode 141. 141, mental. Uh, and we are, you are, this was the best decision we ever made, I think, uh, having this three-person podcast expansion, because we are we are killing it since then. Three wins in four. Um, you love to see it. Craig, you're out in LA. How was waking up at the crack of dawn uh, to watch to watch the boys play? And uh, how did you feel after after roughly 88 minutes of watching it at seven o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm normally used to nine a.m. is decent for you know a work day. Get a cup of coffee and and sit down and enjoy it. Seven was a bit of a stretch. So uh, any any West Coast listeners as well, I I can empathise because uh, it was it wasn't nice. And then obviously the performance as well, especially in the first half was uh was something to behold so uh so yeah it, it was good um obviously we're, we're used to waking up a little bit early seven's probably a bit too early for me but yeah mad respect for those people doing that every week uh not sure i would be too keen on that to be honest i i get annoyed as it is on the east coast when we have like a seven thirty kickoff so <laughs> to be well, that was, yeah that was that was uh the palace tottenham game was at four thirty in the morning so you know, for those for those that are out late on a, on a Friday night, you may as well just not go to bed at that point. Well, West Coast Palace fans deserve that, so you know, <laughs> especially because they ended up winning. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I I woke up to that and I was like, oh, okay. So, but it's just it's, again, just something beautiful about the start of the season where you just it's so unpredictable in terms of where teams are lying, etc., and where they're going to sort of day in terms of remits of the league so um i think that that just tells you that tottenham are not going to be top <laughs> very, very much <laughs> to the surprise of of nobody i think yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah even the tottenham fans knew that this result was coming at some point it was just whether it was this week or another yeah i would i would feel that way uh, if i was a spurs fan as well um but like you said like we're early on in the season I think we all commented on the fact that this was only going to be Brentford's second game at home. Uh, the first one they had was beating Arsenal on the opening night, um, and it was not going to be an easy game to roll up to. They're not. They're not an easy team to beat by any stretch of the imagination. They are unbeaten in their opening three. They'd had a great start, and the Albion came in and made three changes. Um, Welbeck came in, Veltman came in, uh, and also Kukureya. Uh, is uh is how it's supposedly pronounced according to the man himself uh so we brought in three uh pascal gross dropped out he is isolating due to covid uh Mwepu did not make the bench also due to covid isolation so those two will be out we don't know when they began the isolation so we don't know whether they'll be back for leicester or not but as long as they're not sick sick they'll be back for for the, the following week against palace um, and then we also had, uh, who was the other? McAllister uh, that dropped out onto the bench, uh, eventually came on to, uh, to great effect. Um, what, did you, what did you think of that lineup, Craig? How did you feel looking at Kukurea being thrown straight into the mix away from home uh, in a, against a team that were playing a light-for-light light back three? Um, and, and, you know, just generally Danny Welbeck as well getting his first start of the season. Yeah, it was it was strange to see. I mean, the only expected one was probably Veltman coming in um, and and just sort of deputising at right back. And considering that Gross wasn't available, I imagine he would have played there if he was available. Um, so the whole new left side was, um, I guess, I don't want to call it a gamble, but it, in terms of you know throwing Kukurea straight in at left wing back and putting Danny Welbeck out on the left um, or sort of floating around the left to central area was. Again, a bit strange. Um, I think in the first half, it kind of didn't... Well, I don't think we were firing on all cylinders, regardless of where we were on the pitch. But um, you combine those factors of Gross not being there, Kukurea being relatively fresh, Danny Welbeck's first game of the season. Um, the first half, we never got going. Um, and I think that that was testament to the changes that I think we had to make um, as opposed to, to wanted to make. Um, I guess, yeah, the only one that I would have changed was probably um, if Kukurea wasn't ready and then March would have, would have deputized there. But um, I'm glad that he did get a run out. Um, he looked really good um, in terms of what we saw and um, some nice touches and some good link up play already. Um, I just think it's a little bit fresh with that link up play on the left 
um, you know, the last couple of weeks, we talked about the the March and McAllister relationship on that left hand side and how well it does. Um, you know, throwing in uh, a brand new sort of duo, if you like, on the left, because that's sort of what we're seeing this season. Um, it's going to take some time. Um, I think that was that was a gamble that Potter wanted to make, but um, it looked good. I think you know, in terms of the team itself, um, it it looked good. I think given what happened during the game, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but, you know, waking up to the team news, I was like, okay, let's see what this team can do. Yeah, there was, the day didn't start off well. My day didn't start as early as yours, Craig, but the, you know, seeing that palace, and of course it was was Edouard that scored a brace. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess in, in the, this sounds salty, but, uh, I, th- I don't think he took his two goals. Like they were pretty easy chances. Like Tottenham were an absolute mess for his, his third goal, um, his second goal rather. Uh, and I, I don't think he looked that great. So I think all the plaudits that are coming his way, and I, we would say this obviously, but if you're a Brighton fan thinking, oh my God, we missed out on the next big thing in the Premier League, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think he was in a fortunate position to come into a game against 10 men that were collapsing. Um and then we had that first half, which was just an absolute God. It was just bogged down, wasn't it? It was a, it was a it was a sad game half of football against against Brentford when we were basically just cancelling one another out. We were essentially both playing variations of, of that three five two, if you want to call it that, um, and nothing seemed to happen. The middle of the field was an absolute mess. No one could really string passes together. Sanchez nearly got lobbed from about fifty yards out, which was a little bit awkward. Um, and you, you have to think if they, if their, their strikers maybe were of a little higher quality or were in a little bit better form, we could have gone in one, one, maybe two down if we were facing a, a top side. Um, so that wasn't great to see on Cucurella. I think what was nice to see about him defensively, he didn't feel like he got beat that well. He's got that pace where he can really like keep with his man. Um, what we didn't see out of him though, which I was a little bit disappointed, he never took people on. It didn't seem like he was always passing the ball out safely. And I think that's nerves. He's coming new to the team. Doesn't know how it worked. As soon as March came on towards the end of the game, who I think was, I think he had a bit of a hamstring issue, which is why he was only given a bit of time and Cucurella was thrust in. Um, March came in and started trying to go around people. And that started to open up more possibilities and gave us a few throw-ins down that left-hand side. And, and ultimately ended up developing to that amazing sort of, quality finish from, from Trossard. So that was um, that was good to see. But I think a, a decent first run out for Cucurella. Um, the, the biggest issue for me is is how long Webster's going to be out after this one. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, on the Eduard stuff, uh, I saw a great note yesterday. Uh, someone posted on Twitter that they also remember another uh, young striker making their debut <laughs> and scoring two goals against Spurs. Um, and uh-huh. how that's gone ever since. Uh, with similar uh, similar rumours of attitude problems, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, the, t- t- the togetherness in the Palace uh, dressing room is as good as as good as they think. Well, it is. give Connolly his credit. I don't think he deafened a man by shooting with an air rifle, so uh, he has that going for him. Which... Although I do think he uh, he was out of the squad yesterday due to a knock and was also at a festival. Um, so take that. For of course, he was. Yeah. <laughs> Take that for what it uh, what it implies, um, and I think you've really hit the nail on the head as well, Adam. In terms of that, that first half was just scrappy and not good to watch. Um, both teams finished with seventy three percent pass accuracy in that first half. That's their worst forty five minutes of football either of them so far this yeah, season looked in terms of being able to string mm. passes together. Um, and you're right, like that that yeah, it did look it. Um, it was also the first game of the season ever that Brentford were outpossessed. Um, and I think for me, it really began to show about 70 minutes in. Uh, for me, Brentford looked gassed. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's a case of the, the the momentum losing a little bit because they weren't winning a game at home. Uh, I don't know whether it was the international break as well. Like they just got, got a little bit off of it. But they looked gassed about 70 minutes in and they it should. We just started to dominate possession. The substitutions came on, and from then on, like you said, like March started to really work that left hand side, and that is inevitably where the goal came from. Um, I think one one of the things that just on that, in terms of when we started to take the game by the scruff of the neck a little bit, um, they were pressing 
really high up, really aggressively throughout that first half. The number of times where we st- we got caught out trying to play out from the back and, and it could have gone really horribly. Like I, I felt like my, you know, you got nervous a few times in that first half watching Sanchez and co play the ball out. It's hard for a team to do that for 90 minutes. It's tiring. And you can see as soon as they started to fade off of that press and we moved to a 4-3-3 that allowed us to play a little bit differently out, have more support in the center of the park. So we had that Moda, um, Lalana basuma combo in the middle. It meant that we suddenly could control the game and that press was just less impactful. Yeah, I mean, looking at, I mean, we've got to take a look at the fact that Webster got hurt. It's obviously a big talking point. He went down off the ball, no contact. He cleared a ball away and immediately went down feeling his hammy. Doesn't look good. Knowing the Albion, he's probably gone until next year. <laughs> uh, but, you know, generally it's probably going to be until the the next international break, to be honest. Uh, it looked pretty poor. Um the change of formation kind of surprised everybody. I think four three three out of nowhere. Um, it was it was really quite a surprise and scary at the same time. Um, Craig, going forward, do you think four three three is something that he's going to look at? He's never played that formation in his career before. Yesterday, Graham Potter has never played a four three three for any length of time. Do you think that this is just a man continuing to adapt? I, I think so. I think I think we know what he's comfortable with and where he can get the results. And I think playing, I guess, a variation of three five two last year and and getting the success that we did from um, a, well, I guess from from a chance creative perspective. Um, I, I think three five two is still going to be the way forward. But what it what it tells you is is that clearly there's. Um, there's an adaptability to the players that he's now brought in and the depth that we're now bringing in in terms of people that can be very versatile and play in multiple positions. Um, and it now gives Potter the ability to then mix it up and do that. Um, it, it just allows that additional, I guess, the additional ace in the pocket for Potter in terms of, okay, they're going to be expecting 3-5-2 and we're going to expect exploding wingbacks on each side. Let's switch it up and see what happens. Um, and I think... You know, we we saw it try and happen first half of Burnley, and I think you know obviously didn't work. Um, but I think it, it's something that obviously he's got his eye towards in terms of okay, Webster's now out, Burns out, Veltman's been out for a while. We've lost Ben White. You know, if we do only have two centre backs that I know and trust, it's almost like I have to force my hand and be a four three three. So how how can we how can we combat that and how can we use it? Um, and if he's going to drop it into these. Um, into these games and if it does work then obviously masterclass but I don't personally see it the way forward I love the way that we play with the three five two. but if if we're saying that our hand's being forced with the number of centre-backs we've got available then our next best option is to have four three three and have Lilana, Basuma and one of Moda or Gross in the middle so that at least we control the pack in the middle um, against Brentford with five in the middle Adam was right that it's too bogged down. And, you know, when you have 10, 11 people fighting for the ball in the middle of the park, um, pass accuracy is going to be down. It is going to be 73% and, and people aren't going to be able to grab a hold of the game. Um, for a neutral, it was just combat against combat and we were just cancelling each other out. And I'm sure that's a good watch. But for us, it's probably not what we're used to. It's probably not what Brentford, Brentford fans were used to. So um, it caught me by surprise that everything was not sloppy, but combative in the first half. We 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 made a move to that same four three three ish formation in the second half against Everton, um, and if you remember, there was about ninety seconds in the second half against Everton where we looked good uh, <laughs> before Feltman decided to be an idiot. Um, so I think he he was like, well, I agree. His hand was forced in, with the injury, and and if we had the likes of Lamptey available. Um, you you would have just continued with the same formation. But I do think it opens up a slightly different option for us. And it's nice to have a plan B um, as opposed to just moving one, you know, man in, man out if an injury comes up. Um, Because that's the second time where he's made a tactical switch in the last couple of games, which to the eye test has seemed like it's been actually helpful um, where we've not seen success with the wing backs pushing far up the pitch. Well, okay, well let's take more control over the middle where you're facing an Everton, where you're facing a Brentford and, and they want to kind of have this sort of more tactical chess match. 
I thought it was incredibly interesting that uh, Brentford didn't adapt at all. You know, no. they went they went in at halftime and, and we kind of kept with that three at the back, even though we made the sub. Like we kept with it for that kind of four or five minutes and then we came out totally changed tactically, totally different setup. And we then rolled out there and played this totally different kind of formation and outlook. And Brentford never once adapted to that. They did not seem to make any changes. Uh, all of their substitutions, even NBC was saying, like, this is a like-for-like change. We're not seeing anything different here. There's no game-changer coming on. Um, obviously, they love their manager. And obviously, and he's got them to the Premier League, so he can't be bad. Uh, like, given, you know, the budgets they're working on and, and everything with that. Do you think that this is going to be for those better managers out there that are going to be paying attention to this? Your Peps, your your Klops, are they going to be taking a look at this and thinking like we were we were we were aware of them and like we were going to operate X, Y, and Z in 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 the game? And now they're looking at these kind of games and thinking actually they're not going to adapt well enough and we're just going to tear them apart. Do you think that they're going to slowly but surely get found out as the season goes on, or do you think they're going to have enough to carry themselves through? I think, I mean, they are, you're always going to learn about these teams, especially at the start of the season, right? You know, you have your Brentfords, who's, um, my personal opinion, just a breath of fresh air with, with Frank and, and what they're trying to do and, and the, the system they operate. I think, you know, this is a welcome addition to the Prem, but you're always going to find this out about teams sooner or later. Um, you know, second season syndrome is also a thing, but I think as you as you start the season in terms of, okay, this is how they're operating, you will have those few games where you're a complete unknown entity um, and then you start to learn things as they have those games. I don't think this is a case of naivety when we played Watford. When we played Watford, we were on this and we were waxing lyrical about how they refused to make changes, even though they were being torn apart by a very clear system designed to take them apart. Um, I don't think this is naivety on Brentford's part. I think they have genuine confidence in what they're doing and 15 games unbeaten up until this point suggest that they are right and um, what other teams would learn about Brentford at this point is that if they continue that high press and you're as good on the ball as we are especially at the back they are going to run out of steam at 75 80 minutes and you are going to have that opportunity at the end and um, it's a clear case and I think we've been that before right and I think you put, put the boot on the other foot is that they've created chances not taken them and then been stung at the end and we know exactly how that feels. <laughs> we, we've been there, done that for the last year or two. Um, but it will be a very good lesson for Frank and his team to know that and that they need to take those chances. That's the difference between 18th and 17th at this point. Um, I, I don't think they, they're obviously going to have a plan B and they are very fluid in the way they work. Um, I don't think this is as bad as Watford just refusing to make changes. I think that they just gambled that they could make the 90 minutes and ultimately failed. Yeah, I think this is a, a different, well, the question's obviously very different if um, they they get a goal in the first half and Trossard doesn't pull something out of the bag, right? It's small little mini moments like that that change the, the course of a season and the outcome. I think you then look at Frank and you go, this guy had his tactics spot on, cancelled out Brighton, grabbed a goal and then, you know, stopped them from, from, from getting one at the other end. So uh, it's easy. We can all overreact in the first few games of the season. Of course, we are overreacting on the, the other side. Like suddenly we're, we're we're in the top few positions. Let's let's go on and continue and, and force the issue with Europe. But um, I don't know. I think I think Brentford Brentford looked good. Um, I, I, this game was it's challenging for them. We're a good side, and we come in and we'll we'll, we'll try and control the game. We'll. we'll play their game better than they play it. We have better players. We've been in the Premier League longer. Um, it could have gone a lot differently yesterday. This is a very different conversation if Trossard doesn't call that one in. And it's also funny to say, isn't it? Like you can really tell where Neil Mopai came from, right? With the with the with the XG and the chances created because there was just chance after chance in that first half where I was like, we got away with that. We got away with that. We got away with that. If they had a better finisher with one nil down, if they had a better finisher with two nil down, I'm like, huh, that is a Neil Mope kind of thing to be talking about. Um, so, I mean, they're obviously, like you said, like, I think they have a plan. It's very Bielsa-like, right? Like they're stubborn to a fault sometimes. Um, and this one, was the first game really for Brentford that they've encountered a team like us as well, I think is worth noting. You know, Arsenal generally are going to be a possession team, but with the way that they were set up with all their COVID tests, they were kind of 
effed from the word go. And and Palace are not a possession-based team at all. And Villa are also not a team that are known for dominating possession. They're perfectly happy playing on the counter-attack. At least they were effectively with Jack Grealish. They're not so effective anymore. But it was interesting to see Brentford try and adapt to, like you said, better players, same system, better outcome. Um, and after just yesterday and overreactions being said, just yesterday, just from that, I find it hard to believe that they'll be going down. But I think that they're going to have enough this season alone to survive. Who are the three? <laughs> Watford. <laughs> Watford and Norwich, obviously. I Watford, think really. <laughs> yeah, Watford and Norwich, I'm not seeing anything there that, that, that makes me look at them and think, yeah, they'll be okay. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be paying, although it is not a very lovely match to watch, I'm going to be paying strong attention to that Everton-Burnley game because Burnley will be the third if they can't. If they yeah. don't fall tomorrow, yeah. they're on one point. They, they didn't look great against us in that second half. They've not looked great since, really. Um, and they've made no moves, really, other than that left-back they brought in. And that it's not like Brighton, where we didn't make a great deal of moves, but we have over the last three years. They haven't made any moves in the last three years. And eventually, that's going to come and get you. Yeah, Burnley's an interesting one, isn't it? Because they obviously famous for just playing, let's face it, shite football um, for a number of years at this point, and Daesh digging his heels in, but done very well with the amount of investment. But they, what was it, a year ago, 18 months ago, they sold to a, a sort of consortium of, of American investors. So there's there's not like there's a lack of potential funds coming in there. And, and those people wouldn't want to invest in a club that's going to drop down sort of into the championship without much of a fight. So I think we might see something from them in the January transfer window, not to go completely off piste, but um, I don't think they're going to go down without a fight with now that there's some potential money behind them. Yeah. I mean, Burnley is always one of those, isn't it? I think the same, we, we get thrown into that same bracket where you see two shoe-ins uh, of, of, you know, teams that just don't seem to cut the mustard and, and look to be into those relegation places. And then it's almost like a raffle out of these five teams of Brighton, Burnley, Newcastle, Southampton. Um, and it's just sort of like, we'll take your pick. Which one's doing bad at the moment? And I'll just say that they're going to go down. So yeah. it, it it depends in terms of that. I think Burnley, you're right. Um, that's a conversation for another day in terms of, you know, if, if you do have that investment and, and Burnley are so used to this system and, and maybe that's what their fans expect from a culture and from a footballing perspective, if you suddenly try and change that, um, turning Cardiff from blue to red, for example, you know, how, how does that, <laughs> how does that happen? How do you try and change the culture of a football club to what they've already been expecting? Yeah. Um, so it, off tangent, but it, in, in terms of that, you've, you've also got Newcastle and Southampton that have made very little movement in terms of what they've been doing. Um, you know, obviously Newcastle have been in, brought in Joe Willock, which, you know, arguably they already had last season on loan. So, you know, in terms of improvement, season after season, and they've made very little moves. Um, so, you know, it, it it's interesting in terms of, I think there's a number of bits that I think it, Burnley and Newcastle always get thrown into the hat, but um, it's very hard to look past maybe one of those two teams. Um, not, not completely discrediting us from that conversation either, because, you know, from a results perspective, we've been 16th and 15th in the last two yeah. seasons. So we've had a great start, and, but I'm, I'm not going to say that we're home and dry after four games, as, as nice as it is. Well, I can't wait to see how wrong these predictions invariably manage to work out. Like it's uh, and uh, yeah, Arsenal end up going down or something. But uh, <laughs> can I ask one? I want to. You mentioned XG, Josh. So you brought this upon yeah. the listeners, unfortunately. Um, Wonderful. <laughs> uh, because we've seen a pretty drastic change from last season to the last couple of games that we played here, where we have been miserable from a, a chance creation standpoint the last couple of games what was our xg uh yesterday zero point nine something like yeah 0.19 i think it was ugly um yeah. so we've and and it's it, you know the meme has become a, a meme inception at this point now where we were the xg people last time now we are the lack of xg but getting results that's a better situation 
But how long do you get to ride that wave of of, of scoring a winner with a lack of XG performance? What, what, what are we thinking there? I think for me, we've had a very kind open in four fixtures. And the only game that we've played that isn't kind, we've been beaten comfortably. Mm-hmm. That to me is where like there's cause for concern. Now, the only reason I would say that is because is in recent seasons we've failed to win the games we should be winning. This season we've won all three. So to counter it, yes, our XG is not as good as it was. And that's a concern if we don't kind of get that back up to where it should be. But if we keep winning the games around us and below us that we should be getting points from that we failed to last season, we're going to kind of cancel that out and finish 15th again. Um, Leicester's going to be really interesting because they have not had the, the most dazzling start to the season. Like They've not looked superb at all in any game they've played. And we're at home and we are going to have to make a change or two. And we're also on Tarot Lamptey Eve as well, which is worth noting. We are, Potter has said that he expects him to play against Swansea or at least have squad involvement against Swansea. So whether he's risked against Palace, probably not. But whether he goes to, to, you know, whether he comes and starts at the Amex against Arsenal, we are very close to being able to revert back to that three at the back with Veltman. Duffy and Dunk and then Lamptey and Kukurea on the on the wings and that's kind of that the Potter wet dream I think that's what he's like that's what he's been waiting for and I think with that and we've spoke at length about how important the wingbacks are to the system we are we are struggling to create the XG because we've we haven't I don't think we've played consistent wingback duo since the beginning you know like we've we've had to chop and change constantly, and I think that's we need a good run where we can actually play the players we want in the positions we want them to be in. And I think if we can, I think that XG will find itself back to where it should be. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a um, a bit of a flash in the pan for me. I think nothing's really changed from a controlling the game perspective. Um, I think the chances are far and few between, um, and that's probably my concern more than anything else is that we aren't creating the chances that maybe we're used to, but at least we're finishing them. And I think, you know, it's, it bodes well that, you know, we're, we're at that point where we can finish these off and we have star quality in terms of what Trossard did yesterday. Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's the Trossard that we need that Belgian international number seven over the last couple of weeks that, can show up and make something out of nigh on nothing um, and, and be able to, to shut a game away. Um, so hopefully it's a turn of the tide this season. You know, we're seeing a couple of new implementations. We've, we've got a brand new left back, you know, Mwepu's come in and he's going to try and battle for that centre mid spot. And um, I, I don't think the plan has changed at all. I think we've just, um, I mean, you can call it luck or you can just call it a little bit of star power. Um, but we've been able to finish the chances that have been available to us. I think I like what you both said. I, I, I kind of almost want to play this. I'm going to regret saying this, but maybe even less. Leicester's the right game for it. I want to play a side that's going to come out and try and attack us um, and and really try and dominate the game and allow us to have that flexibility on the wings and push up with a Lamptey and a Kukurea. Um I agree. I think it, we'll see then whether we can still have that that level of chance creation that we saw last year. Because, like you said, in the sense that the fixtures at the start of this year have been kind, they've also been a little bit mean in the sense that we've faced sides that have set themselves up to make it a challenging game um, and not have free flowing football. I mean, if you could if you could sort of label some sides that that want to make your life a little bit difficult and not really come out and try and win five nil against you, you'd probably say Burnley, Watford, and you'd probably even say an Everton in there with the way Rafa Benitez plays them. So yeah, remains to be seen again, four games we've played. So uh, it's hard to draw a conclusion. It is, but that's also the thing, right? Like they are like you said, they are they are hard teams to play against. And and that's the games we struggled to get things from last season. They were the games where we would draw like draw in one one. These are the games we're converting from one point to three. And they're they're where we've had the trouble in the past. And 
looking at this fixture list, like it doesn't get any less mean for the rest for the next month or so. You've got Leicester next, but Leicester are also well known for sitting back and hitting you on the counter attack. Like they're not like that could be an, a similar problem. We've then got Crystal Palace. Everybody knows anti football. We've got Arsenal up really like at the Amex also well. anti-football in many ways as well aren't they so. <laughs> exactly and then you've got Norwich away like you know that's not going to be a team that's going to come out we I mean we're waiting until the 23rd of October really for our first proper litmus test against the team that are going to dominate us and that's Manchester City which is like as as hard of a test as you can get we're going to go then Liverpool. to 100 yeah and that's going to be a really interesting time but then at the same time you know you take what three six set you take seven points from our next four are you even that bothered then at that point we then sat on what like 15 16 points with seven games gone we're probably still in the top six everybody's booking tickets to slovakia or wherever we're going to be playing in the europa league <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah it's 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 good to get points early on the board because it just sets you up for the season right and in terms of just being able to, and one of the things really around how we play is obviously having the freedom and having the confidence to do so. And, and, you know, if you start off at, you know, a couple of, a couple of games where it hasn't gone your way. So if we take, you know, those games where maybe we don't pick up the Burnley win, maybe we draw at Watford, we lose to Everton and we draw yesterday. Um, you're, you're then talking about three instead of nine. Um, you're then talking about, oh, we need to now, play Leicester then we've got a derby day without any confidence on Chris uh, you know against Crystal Palace and then you've got Arsenal it I think it's similar to what Adam said earlier as well in terms of just fine margins and um, you know the Premier League's just absolutely full of them because we've would have spent 30 minutes talking about how lackluster of a performance yesterday was if we drew nil-nil um so you know there, there are talking points in terms of that and you know where those fine margins lie i think you know we've just been able to take our chances so far and i hope that we i hope that we build on it and that from a confidence perspective we know that we can go at these teams and, and that we know that we can beat anyone on our day and um, i think that's probably more key than than anything else um but yeah it's just my my two cents from from a player standpoint yesterday i, I like what you said in terms of you know if, if trusser doesn't call that one in I was already thinking like, oh God, how are we going to talk about this just horrible sort of game? Um, but instead it allows us to start to think about like, I, I was really impressed by Lalana in the second half yesterday. Um, statistics wise, it wasn't like the greatest game of his career, but it did feel like in the second half, he was just there moving the ball on and allowing the game to flow nicely. Basuma again was just a cut above classic. Like he's mad at the match for me until otherwise, <laughs> you know, someone else comes through. I don't see it. I, I, I've also got a slightly weird opinion in terms of McAllister that for me McAllister is always better as an impact sub and I, I, I feel like he's been more disappointing every game that he starts as opposed to the games where he comes on and gives us something different let's talk about the goal a little bit because it was all the subs coming together yeah. for Leandro which is another thing that I feel that especially last season everybody felt Potter was very hit and miss on and he hasn't really missed yet with his substitutions and tactical changes in game. Although he did start terribly against Burnley, of course, but like he made that change and got us the win again. So obviously mm -hmm. it's still working out, but you know, it was March's play down the left that led to the opening. It was then Moda who passed it on to Alexis, who passed it on to Trossard. Like all three substitutes kind of built up the goal and you know, shades of the Manchester City goal, really, wasn't it? Just a little bit further out. He dragged several defenders across until he was able to bend into the corner. To me, I also just think, like, playing average, because I think it was a bit of a game of two halves again yesterday. I think we were a lot better in the second half, and going into the going in at half time, if they'd have continued like that, Brentford would have felt aggrieved to come away without a win. By the time we got to 87, 88 minutes, I'm sure Brentford would have took a point because yeah. they were they were well on the back foot. And we were thinking, where's this last 20 minutes been for the first 70? Like, this is what we wanted to see. Is it not that winning games where you're average is what puts you above the relegation battle? 
right? And that's what we're actually starting to do. And although it felt kind of lucky, like this is now the second game in four where we've got like kind of lucky with that win. Like if it keeps going as the season goes on, you've got to start thinking like actually this is something that that Potter and the team are are, are game planning for to kind of try and turn those one points to three. Yeah, I mean, completely betting on your subs is a bold strategy, but it, you know, in in terms of, I talked about depth earlier in terms of bringing these like these players of pure quality on. You know, March arguably before his injury last season was our player of the season, or was or was going to be very close in. So being able to bring him on at eighty two minutes, where we're starting to see more of the game, and then you have McAllister as well. Um, the switch to the four three three with Moda coming to the left central mid position where he's a lot better on the left than he is on the right, especially playing defense. Um, it allows you, especially with Moda and McAllister also being the two that changed the Burnley game, they then connect up for the goal. They're two players of pure quality and depth that we've got on the substitute bench that you can bring on. Um, and there's the difference, isn't it? Is that, you know, we're seeing defensively that we're a little bit... Um, a little bit short with with Burn being out now Webster out um you know Ben White gone you, you had Hayden Roberts on the bench and it, in terms of our midfield we've talked about this you know you've got 80 million pounds worth of, of talent there in terms of the midfield position uh you can bring on and someone like Mizuma. yeah exactly so <laughs> yeah, it, yeah we'll wait for that of, contract just before saying that <laughs> <laughs> so I mean it's it's a nice obviously a very nice thing for Potter to have where he does have the players of that ability to change the game. Um, and McAllister and Modo, I were put in that mold. And Josh, as you, as you said rightly, they have the ability to change the game. So bringing them both on clearly changed two games out of the four that we've done this season. Modo, we saw him play against England. Uh, that was this week, I think, right? I kind of yeah. lost a track of time. Yeah, Wednesday. And he was sort of at fault for the first well, one of the goals they conceded, but then was a big part in creating creating the goal that at the end. Um, how long can he sit on the bench for Moda? Because you have to think that he's so close to being in the starting 11. And I think if you see Lalana out for any extended period of time, which is inevitable, um, Potter maybe isn't that worried. You took the words out of my mouth, so I, there's not much more to add. I think we are one Adam Lalana injury away from seeing Moda stay in the starting eleven yeah. for good. But yeah, yeah, that's that's it. I think you've nailed it. And my and my my impression would be that Lalana wouldn't get it back either. And I think you know Moda does have that ability, and he is. I I honestly think he is that good that if if Lalana does give up that position, he's going to be very hard pressed to get it back. The the other piece, though, is that if if Lalana is fit and he's a very good player on his day and helps control, especially if you've got a 1-0 lead, like you want Lalana on the pitch to help move the ball around, is then does that 4-3-3 become more attractive as a long-term proposition? I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you are sacrificing some of the ability to to push Lamptey when he's back and and Kukurea up the pitch, but it allows you to get Moda, Basuma and Lalana and create that really forceful central group. It's good. It's, an, it's a great problem to, to, to be faced with. It's also worth noting that if you if you look at the heat map stuff from yesterday, Bissouma and Moda spent a lot of time covering the wings when those when those fullbacks, wingbacks, mm-hmm. middlebacks, whatever the fuck they were at the end, like started moving <laughs> up. Like we saw that they were kind of covering that wing, like that wing area to to stop them and that was probably incredibly important when you had some of those players that were able to go forward. Like I was very impressed with uh, Mbuemo yesterday. Um, he is so close to being a good player. <laughs> he's he's so quick. He's so like good with his good with the ball at his feet. He was his decision making was almost perfect every single time. His just his finishing was absolutely appalling. But he's only twenty two. It was again. It's another one of those things that they're a couple of years behind us, but with a similar methodology. Um, I was really impressed with him. Tony looked okay. I think he'll score plenty this season. I think he held the ball up really well, and his first touch was nasty sometimes. Um, But I think that 
yeah, I think that even if we do move to a 4-3-3, we have players that I think are going to be comfortable with the overlap, even with that the three in the back. like the Within like four minutes, two minutes probably, of having Veltman at centre-half, he just went running forward and was like at their 18-yard line, like almost immediately. He quietly and, had a good game as well, Veltman. Yeah, he did. I thought so as well. Talking of that, man of the match. Let's hit man of the match. Um, Adam, I'm pretty sure you've already pinned your your flag to the Basuma mast. Is that right? Uh, and, until uh, until something happens otherwise, mine is automatically going to be Basuma from this point onwards. <laughs> that saves that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, what about you? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's going to turn into a very boring segment because I think I'm exactly the same. Like, the, the guy is just a step above, just in terms of just watching him and just being able to do what he does. Um, the, I mean, the only other notable one is pretty obvious in terms of what Trossard can bring to the team um, and just having that ability to turn a game on its head. Um, you know, Basuma is going to get 35 out of 38 man of the matches <laughs> during these segments over the course of the year. So I think I'll go for Trossard just because of what he, what he brung to the table and the ability to then sort of just kill the game off uh, and just be able to produce that one bit of quality when we needed it. Um, and that's, it's not, it wasn't just that one moment either. Like he had space, he had space during the game. He created and, and sort of held the ball in the middle of the park in order for everyone else to come up. Um, you know, I'm talking specifically around the second half, inevitably, but in terms of when we had more control of the game, he had a lot more of the ball, was spraying the passes out, was giving an, an outlet in the middle, which we saw against, Watford especially um you know being able to pick up the ball in the middle and then deliver it back out um so I'll, I'll go for Trossard just to just to keep it keep it different <laughs> yeah I, th- I mean I think there's fair arguments for both uh I don't think there's really anybody else in it in the conversation so you know I'm I'm going to edge Basuma on this simply because he had uh matching boots that were just beautiful to go with Phenomenal. the entire aesthetic uh so that's that's my difference maker there uh, the goal was great, but the boots were better. Uh, <laughs> it was just mwah, chef's kiss. With the hair, the hair, the boots, and the, the whole, yeah, yeah. He was he was never leaving, was he? That's too much commitment, though. It makes you feel that way, though, doesn't it? Like It's silly to say it, but especially in this day and age where like footballers really aren't particularly loyal, he does feel like a player that is going to be that way until he is otherwise given an option that's too good to refuse. He He does seem like a player that, genuinely does adore the club and love us and i think that that is gonna help in the long run um yeah it just like you know when it was like mid-july i think that he posted the insta of his hair and i was like it's a stupid thing to make me influence but like it's sound it just looks like he actually really does love us and he'll stay like unless something outrageous comes through the door well i mean the hair's Slightly similar to City's colours, so don't get too ahead of yourself. You could have been hoping there. <laughs> Any players that let you down yesterday? And I'll go first. Danny Welbeck. Thought he was really poor yesterday. He was totally anonymous anonymous for me. He had 21 touches of the ball, which was less than anybody else. Put that in perspective, uh, Solly March had just two less than he played for nine minutes. Um, there was large stretches of times yesterday where I thought... We are, we've got the ball at the back. We need to whip this out and stretch him. And Danny Welbeck is that player and he wasn't available. He just didn't provide what he was meant to provide. I thought it was just a totally anonymous game from Danny. And it was, that's the problem with him. He's prone to those kind of games. Um, And thankfully, Leandro was the one that was able to pop up. But I felt when he went off for Alexis, we became an immediately more dangerous threat going forward. And that may have also helped with the fact that they were starting to get gassed. But it was, for me, he was he was a disappointment. But it was also his first game of the season. So I'm like, oh, I can't be that hard on him. Yeah. It's also just, I mean, that that's not his position either, is it? In terms of playing out wide and, and where we want him to be. And you, you add on the disappointment that, you know, the premise of Welbeck is to finish those chances that he gets, like the clear-cut chances, like he is a good finisher of the ball. And that chance in the first half, you wanted that to fall to Welbeck more than anyone else because, you know, he has the ability to finish those. Just a tame finish, a bit of rustiness, first game of the season, playing out of position. 
just added up to, like you said, an, an anonymous performance for me. Um, he probably just needs to be playing in the middle. Um, but with, with more pay, with two goals in three Premier League games, it was hard not to start him. Yeah, I think it's harsh calling calling because you could argue that that Mope and, and Welbeck, you could argue the entire team was anonymous for the first forty five minutes, um, but it was it's hard up front, and and that's not the first time that we've said that our forward line has not really been involved for a lot of the game, and and part of that has just come down to game flow, and it's and it's hard when they're making all these runs, they're putting pressure on the defense, trying to create space, but ultimately just don't get the ball that much. They, they were starved a fair bit of, of service and, and touches, I think. Um, so you know, for me, you could probably say it's Worldback and Mope weren't particularly. Um, involved in the game for large stretches. You just hope that when they get those one or two chances, they put them away, right? And and obviously, Worldback didn't do that, so he looks like the bad guy on the day. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Sanchez scared me a few times with his uh, distribution, but it is getting less every week. And it is also worth noting that I thought Brentford's press was the best we've played against. I thought Everton's was very good, I think Brentford still outdid them for the first 70 minutes. It was very, it was very organised. I mean, obviously, in order for it to be an effective press, you all need to go at the same time. But it it looked like they've been doing it for years and years, which they have. So, you know, they, they have a clear system. Their press was very good. Um, you know, that's where the three five two helps, obviously. Um, and then, obviously, switching it up has put more emphasis on the three in the middle, which then alleviates that press. So it, it was... It was a good change, obviously, for the four-three-three, but not to discredit it the way that that Brentford were playing because that press for seventy to seventy-five minutes was very good. Um, I guess we've touched on the issue that they can't do it for ninety minutes. So, in in terms of what do they do to mix it up, or how do they give themselves some respite during the game in terms of just controlling it, give people a rest so that they can press effectively for the four ninety. You know, part of that is against the team you're playing. You know, we, we've got them running around because we like to control the ball um, against teams that maybe have less possession. Um, that press is effective for the full 90 minutes. Sanchez, Sanchez was, we've talked about Sanchez a lot in every game, haven't we? Um, and, but yes, like you say, it's getting less frequent. He got his cap for, he got a cap for Spain in the week, I believe. Luis Enrique brought him on during the second half. It's just going to build his confidence up. Um I think he'll ultimately be fine. Would have been very different if he did indeed get logged in the first half of this game. That was a that was a heart in mouth moment. Um, it was very close, and they were what, very what close happened? on curling one in the top top left hand corner as well at one point. But um, yeah, I think it was also just less about Sanchez and more about how clever that was from Tony too. Yeah, like he just. The, the entire execution was very good, barring the fact that it just didn't dip enough. Uh, it's easy to, I think it's easy to say like Sanchez should never have been that far out, but that's where he always is because that's how we play. Yeah, that's where modern but, goalkeepers are. Yeah. Like the, 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 the audacity to just go like, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. We're nil nil in the middle of the second, first half. Let's just chuck one up there and see if it works. Yeah, well, you, you just hope, given how gigantic Sanchez is, uh, that that doesn't that doesn't happen. I think if uh, you know we were perhaps talking about one of our former Australian goalkeepers, uh, that could, <laughs> that could have been even more worrying. Just one of them, is it? Just one of them, yeah. Any, anyone's guess. <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, that would have probably been a bit of a different situation. I'd have felt a lot more concerned uh, <laughs> if I was having to watch him do it. Uh, Leicester City next. They are totally 50-50 right now. They've played two away from home, 1-1, lost one. They've played two at home, 1-1, lost one. Uh, And similar to us, really, uh, they've beaten the teams that you would expect them to beat, and they have been in trouble against the teams that are in and around their area of the table. Uh, They they, they walked past Norwich. Norwich gave them a pretty good game, but they they pushed past them. The quality was pretty different in the end. Uh, and they beat Wolves, who had a pretty slow start to the season. They were able to eke past them as well. But West Ham was a disaster class. You know, the sending off, obviously, a big part of that. Um, similar to the, the Palace-Spurs game. It's not can't hold too much weight on that. But then they were also comfortably beaten yesterday. Although the score was only 1-0, it 
you know, I watched the highlights of that and there wasn't much of Leicester to look at in the highlights. What what are we expecting here? And and not only that, but they also have Napoli this week this week. They also play Napoli this week uh in the Europa League. So what 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 are we thinking are we gonna what are we hoping to see here? I'm not sure. I mean, Leicester are always dangerous. They've got such a good team. Um and we're then we're talking about those midfield battles really in terms of okay if you know they've got Ndidi and Telemans in the middle um, in terms of controlling the I guess the narrative of the game um, it's obviously going to be a tough game um, it's whether we can keep them quiet in terms of the counter and um, we we love to have the ball and we love to build up and um, similar to Everton where we got caught on the counter for the first goal. And um, that would probably be one of my concerns against Leicester as well, given their pace. Um, you know, they've added Lookman to, to their squad as well in terms of an impact sub as well. You know, they're, they're looking to do that. They're looking to, you know, counter-attack or at least build up as quickly as they possibly can, which is not our game. And um, so it's going to be interesting. It's obviously going to be tough. Um their quality will probably tell in the end. Um, but it's going to be exciting to see what we can do against Leicester. And, um, you know, against, I guess, one of the more, I guess, I, I expect Leicester to be in the top six or seven come the end of the season, given what they've been doing and, and their investment. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how we square up to them, uh, and especially two very different playing styles as well. Leicester are so Jekyll and Hyde, aren't they? As you, you sort of touched on, I think we see this with Brendan mm. Rodgers' sides, though, don't we? Where they just go through these really horrendous patches of form, and they get stuck in either playing very well or playing not very well. Um, they've also got quite a new look back group of, of, of four, um, where they they brought Petrano in from from, from Southampton. Soyuncu's been crap. Uh, for a, a fair while now, Vestergaard played a decent chunk of yesterday, came on for Evans. Um, going forward, they're, they're very intimidating. I mean, if, like you said, you look at Ndidi, Tielemans, and Hardy Barnes, a hell of a player. James Madison, we know what Vardy is. They got so much danger in that regard. I wonder whether we'll see us. I don't think Cucurella plays that game. I think we, we possibly opt for, for someone with a little bit more defensive experience in the Premier League. Um, and if Lamptey's ready, I don't know if Lamptey plays. I wonder whether you go with Veltman there to, to, to shore things up. Um, so, and also whether you see a, a Basuma Moda um, set up as opposed to a, a Lalana. Um, we just have to hope that we can take advantage of a potential defensive mishap or uh, them being uncomfortable on that side of things, which is tough given how we've looked going forward. But that's my hope. We just have to hope that we do something there. See, I'm I'm more confident than that. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna run into a Leicester side that are almost half a squad. They play Napoli in the middle of the week at home. They're not gonna win the league. This could be their best. Well, don't say that. <laughs> well, they shouldn't win the league. I'd be surprised if they do at this point already. Um, you know, th- this is their best way into the Champions League, just as much so as the as the top four spot. Their, their group is not good. Legia, Warsaw, Spartak, Moscow. They should be looking at taking wins off of both of those. Napoli is their only big competition. Part of me wonders if Brendan Rodgers is going to put just... If he puts just as much emphasis on that Napoli game as he does against us, we could be playing against a team without Harvey Barnes and without James Madison for 60 minutes. You know what I mean? Like That's my thing. Like How is... How is this European tour going to affect them with an already shaky backline? And I think that's where we're going to try and, if we dominate the ball like we did against Brentford and we're capable of doing it against Leicester, especially if they're slightly more tired, I do wonder if we could run out at, at, at minimum with a point and if not, take something more. Are they are they at home or away? They are or at home that? to Napoli. Okay. So in front of their own fans, even more so, get that home win first game of the Europa we'll, we'll see I mean I think the other thing you've got to think about though is that, that a lot of their dangerous players don't play international football at the moment um, where you know Vardy's not playing Madison's not playing Harvey Barnes isn't playing um, so they kind of you know they, they didn't get all worn out in the last week or so 
for the most part. They've got the depth with your Ian Achos and your Pats and Dakers going forward where they can, they can, you know, bring in fresh legs that are still very dangerous. Um, I also, their group's not as much of a walkover as no one wants to go to Moscow midweek and play games. No one ever. Um, so we'll see. I think there's a bit of a banana skin there for them in Europe, but it depends. But the other hand, they might be looking at this and going, oh, wow, we play City, then we play Napoli. Thank God we play Brighton. So, you know, they might be looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. Just in terms of, yeah, where their priorities lie, but, you know, you can make an argument for both sides, I guess. But in, in terms of, you know, it is the Champions League and I believe they're, they're playing on Wednesday, um, hence the, the Sunday shift. Um, but that's still Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then playing on the Sunday. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're not talking about double headers at five aside. Um, I think, you know, it'll still be, <laughs> it'll still be a fairly, you know, obviously a very strong team. And I think they'll, they'll come obviously to win. And I, I don't, I don't anticipate that they're going to be weakened in, in any way. Um, it just may be that they use more subs or maybe, you know, switch things up from a substitute perspective, but I, I wouldn't anticipate wholesale changes. Do you both play fantasy Premier League? Uh, define play. Um, I, so I, I, <laughs> I, participate. I participate and I, I do awful and then I reset for next year. So, uh, yeah. Um, I brought Ronaldo in this week and captained him. So, you know, that's where I'm at. So I, I also <laughs> brought Ronaldo in this week. He's my vice. I captained Salah because I was scared. He was just got a goal while we've been talking. And my boy Trent, who is also in my team, got the assists. So very happy with that. Around the grounds, let's touch on it real quick before we drop. Ronaldo, bagging two immediately. We didn't mention Newcastle greatly uh, compared to Burnley because they have invested. Uh, although, you know, you said Willock was arguably there last season. I think a lot of Newcastle's season banks on Wilson being fit. He wasn't, and they got turned over comfortably. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, what's he going to be like? He's already scored two. Do you think he's just going to continue to churn them out? I think he probably will, isn't he? Uh, he the first goal was all about positioning um horrible goalkeeping <laughs> and then he just pounced on it that's classic him in the last few years second goal he he turned back the years a little bit where he had that change of pace for a guy that's what is he 36 um it was incredible um but the best goal of the game was Bruno Fernandes let's not forget their other Portuguese player who's incredibly talented um Man U still looks a little suspect at the back, but if Newcastle do go down at any point, we have to be there asking about Wilson and Sam Maximan. Sam Maximan is a wonderful player. He is so good. I don't, yeah, I mean, it's the, the two goals that Ronaldo did get, you know, obviously the second goal, arguably the keeper should have done better in both of those goals yeah. um, in terms of what he's done there, but you're right, just the positioning and the play and I guess his his knowledge of the game in terms of how he reads it and where he needs to be. Um, it's going to get him 15 goals this season. I don't think he's going to, you know, he's not going to go and get 30. Um, but it, in terms of his ability to read the game and be in the right place at the right time, combine that with him showing up in the big games, obviously. Um, you know, it it's obviously exciting for, for any sort of Premier League supporter or, or fan that's out there um but you know this isn't the Ronaldo that left 12 years ago and um, we, we just need to I guess I, I've had this conversation the last couple of weeks or so just in terms of what you can expect and um, obviously there's a lot of buzz from I guess the global contingent in terms of Ronaldo coming back to the Premier League and um, it's not what we saw 12 years ago with him taking on five players and, and scoring a worldie and um, he's now using his knowledge and his ability to be in the right place at the right time to get his goals um, it's good. And in, in terms of Man United, you're right. Um, from a, an FPL perspective, I did absolutely nothing in Captain Fernandez. Um, and I, I guess uh, the, you the can't goal, Captain Fernandez with Pinaldo being back. You can't, he's lost that privilege. I know, I know. I just, I didn't expect Ronaldo to start. 
um, I thought they would ease him in um, and go for it. And then I'll probably bring him in. I've, I've got my wild card to play. So um, I think you've it. mistaken the fact that you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is managing the club as opposed to Ronaldo <laughs> now being the manager and he will play exactly when he decides he wants to play and Ole will just go, all right, mate. Uh, <laughs> more, more, more than a blank check. Just, just yeah. you, you can run things now, chap. Yeah, Ronaldo gave Cavani a look and uh, he suddenly picked up a knock and that was the end of that in striker <laughs> yeah, training. Stole his number and then he got injured, yeah. <laughs> it was it was funny. Arsenal, around the grounds, got their first win of the season. Uh, far from convincing against Norwich, 1-0 win. Um, Burnley away next for them and then Spurs. So I'm not too concerned about them picking up a run of momentum coming into our game. If they don't... if they fail to win either of their next two against Burnley and Spurs. Burnley especially, right? But losing to Spurs would compound it. So say they took a point from Burnley and lost to Spurs. Do you think we'll be playing against Arteta or do you think they'll they'll pull the trigger that quickly? I think he'll still be there. I I think it's just I think there's um there's definitely a hesitancy there as well, especially with the amount of money that he's he's sort of spent and the amount of investment they've put into him. Um I think Slightly too soon, but I don't think it'll be long after that if the results continue the way they are. I hope he's still there for us. <laughs> uh, I hope they just don't randomly sort of do some nostalgic bringing Dennis Bergkamp and suddenly they start winning 5-0 just on pure morale. Um, I, I don't know. I, just, I, I still, I look at the, I think their, their death has been greatly uh, um, exaggerated, but they're not a very good squad. They're just not a very good squad. Um, and they all sort of seemingly hate Arteta. So, but those two <laughs> things are not a great combo. I just think they're just going to be, I think this is uh, this is Arsenal until they, they make some big changes or these young players suddenly turn into what they hope they're going to be. I think they're a side that finishes somewhere between 7th and 10th. And this is what they are. I think they've almost, looking at them on the surface, it almost looks like, and we're in an advantageous position to say this because we've lived it the last 10 years. I think they've tried to just simply look at teams like Brighton and Brentford and Southampton and gone, yeah, we want that instead. Spend all the money in the world and it should work immediately. Like This is 12, 11 years worth of of, of work that Tony has put in with, with Gus, with Oscar, with Hewton. You know, this is hard work that he's put in with this and a lot of money. And a lot of money spent on facilities and a lot of money spent on investment from the ground up. And Brentford the same way and Southampton the same way, although they had a couple of blips there in the middle. But like, it feels almost like Arsenal were looking at that and think this is a better way to be self-sustainable and keep pushing that kind of top six. Let's just do it and expect it to work immediately. And it's working exactly how everybody else knew it would. And these players are not going to become... You know, it's take what's this Trossard's third season, and we're starting to see the kind of fruits of that labor of pushing him and working him. And, and you know, that's that's how it works. It took what he was 15 when he signed, and Ben White's 23 now, seven, eight years to develop Ben White. Do you, you think Arteta's got eight years to do his project? No, <laughs> I don't think he's got eight weeks. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly my point. Like, I, yeah. it's, it's baffling to me, but also at the same time, you're not going to see Stan Kroenke at the way end at Brentford, are you? So, uh, you know, it's quite that was, that a large was, that was amazing. That yeah. was so good to see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, we're pretty much up on time. Great. I don't want to, I don't want to take any more of your vacay over in LA away from you. Um, so Mate, please my, enjoy yourself. My pleasure. So anything else before we go from either of you both? Um, until this Liverpool game is concluded, I believe we sit fourth in the league. Let's enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're now including the cup. You got four wins out of five. Um, you know, you, you couldn't have even asked for that when we started. So, um, you know, we'll we'll look forward to the Leicester game and sort of crack on from there. But yeah, I, I think just echo Adam, just enjoy it. Like, you see us that high up the table, we're probably getting nosebleed. So in, in terms of, you know, basking what we're doing right now, how we're playing, being able to get those results when last season we, we would have... Uh, subsequently messed it up or, or not got it at all. Yeah, I agree. Well, NFL season back in full swing. Uh, I hope everybody's team does well, except LA Rams and uh, the Kansas City Chiefs who are playing the Browns today. Uh, I hope you do really poorly and lose your games. Uh, 
Emma Raducanu. What a great game of tennis that was yesterday. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. Incredible. You're talking 20 sets with none dropped from a qualifier in the US Open at 18 years old um, is, yeah. I mean, I it obviously it gained traction as she was getting better, like through the stages and stuff, but what an achievement. Well, she was, she had to qualify for it. it was in, I mean, insane. And I did enjoy the other uh, lady in the final moaning when she was like being treated for just bleeding on the court, like get a grip. Like, it's just like, it's, it's not allowed. It's not her fault. Like she physically can't, like you're not allowed to play with blood. It's the same in the Prem, isn't it? And like all the football now, like yeah. you have blood on your shirt. Like I don't know what she expected. Well, she she sort of thought she cheated and sort of slid on the floor to bleed, so she broke the game. Like, get out. Yeah. Anyway, congrats yeah. to her. Yeah, that was a superb game of tennis. Uh, I'm not massively into tennis, but I bandwagoned hard for her. I'm glad she won. Um, <laughs> and you love to see. Just, I'm a sucker for any British history, like watching something like that. And I Canadian mean, and Romanian was, yeah. There was another one as well. Where else was she? <laughs> Canadian, Romanian, and there's another one that she's got. There's another nation that also is associated in some way, shape, or form with her. I think, he... I think it was um, Romanian father, Chinese mother, born in Canada. Yep. Yeah. Mental, mental. That's exactly as long as as long as the England flags, the British flags next to it, we take the credit. That's one, and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, she grew up in Bromley, which is very close to uh, a certain rival that we detest. Um, so let's let's hope she's uh, blue and white, not red and blue. Yeah, just at bare minimum, not red and blue. Uh, that would be upsetting because <laughs> she was at the England game against Denmark, so she's obviously a football fan. So the worry is there that this next great tennis icon from the uk is uh is palace and that makes me sad <laughs> but oh, yeah dear. we'll leave it that's exactly what we want to see though right the melting pot is what britain should be proud of so i'm i'm glad to see it and we should yeah now, it. now let's get harland to play for england somehow because that, that <laughs> yeah Turn back time and change Southgate because uh, he couldn't. He couldn't even get Big Bob on the phone. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> All right, boys. Have a good weekend. Uh, what's left of it, and and we'll speak again next week for for Leicester. Early kickoff Sunday for everybody listening. Uh, so we will we will be probably doing a post match immediate report. So that will be fun. Good stuff. Awesome. Have a good right, week. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye bye.